Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. For those of you that tuned in to Friday's show, where I did it from the home office, recorded directly to a computer, uh, with that wonderful little podcast program known as Audacity, uh, I got used to that really, uh, really good audio quality. Sorry, back in the car, Gorilla Podcasting once again. It's going to be this way for a while. Today is uh, Monday, March 23rd, 2009, and uh, things are going well here, and uh, I'm going to do a different show to, for you today. I, I realized I sat and I looked back at all, a lot of the episodes that I've done in the past, and I've never done really an episode geared around... You know, wilderness survival skills at all. Not even really one of them, other than some stuff on hunting and fishing. We're going to talk about fishing today, but from a different standpoint. We're going to talk about putting together a survival fishing kit. Uh, it could be anything from what you would use during a backpacking trip to what you would use to feed yourself with if you got lost in the woods. And this that's really away from the typical tone of the show. Uh, but I think it's important because we, you know, we talk here about storing food. We talk here about bugging out. We talk about a lot of different things. And, and all of them are geared toward making sure that you can survive and that you can keep the people around you uh, alive as well. That That's really what the crux of it is. We talk about liberty and freedom in government sometimes. And honestly, it gets me pretty hacked off with some of the things we're doing right now. So I thought this would be a good little jaunt away from the typical, and then we'll come back and do something more in line with what the show is usually about tomorrow. Uh, that said, I think this will be a really good episode, and it'll be a really informative episode. And there's a lot of like wilderness survival skills that I can't really do a great audio show on. I, I can't really do a good audio show on making fire with a bow or a hand drill. It's a, it's a very uh, hands-on very visual type of topic. Uh, likewise, it really isn't that great of an idea for me to try to do a topic like uh, building a lean-to or building any kind of a, uh, a short-term survival structure. Again, those are highly visual, but fishing, I think I can break down putting together a kit into something that will work well on audio. So before we do that, let's let's uh, do a little house cleaning. Again, I've decided it just works better in the beginning of the show than the end, because that way I don't forget to do it. Uh, number one, I I want to make sure on every show I mention Region 5 is doing a great big bug out, camp out, get together uh, over Memorial Day weekend around Gulfway, Texas, somewhere around that area. And uh, everybody is welcome to come. I will be there. Sounds like a great time. Check out the forum for more information. I'll put a link to the thread about it in Region 5's uh, forum in the uh, podcast notes. Again, come one, come all. If you are not from Region 5, we do not care. If you'd like to come, you are welcome if you want to drive that far anyway. 
Um, next thing is that uh, I wanted to remind everybody I am recording an audio version of Lights Out in cooperation with David Crawford, who authored the book. Uh, first couple chapters are available for a free download on the site for filling out a simple form. Third, I wanted to remind everybody I have been invited as an instructor uh, with uh, stand alongside about 12 other just outstanding individuals uh, from Wilderness Way Magazine for their Dirt Time 2009 event in San Bernardino, California. This is a week-long event. runs a Sunday through a Friday. And there are workshops on a lot of primitive um, survival skills, wilderness survival skills. I, in particular, will be lecturing on survival gardening and uh, cultivating natural per- permaculture crops uh, either in your on your own land or in areas maybe adjacent to it that you might do a little bit of uh, gorilla land improvement. And this should be an amazing event. I think it's $175 a head. Full details are available at Dirt Times uh, website. Again, I'll put a link to that. And uh, I guess that pretty much wraps up our house cleaning. Other than to remind everybody once again that uh, if you want to call in your questions, your suggestions, your comments, uh, and be heard on a show like we did last Friday, um, the number to call is 866-65-THINK. Again, 866-65-THINK. Uh, call that number. It's toll free. You have up to two minutes to leave your comments. After uh, two minutes and one second, it'll cut you off. So be concise, direct, and to the point. And uh, ask your question or make your comment, and we'll try to get you on the air. We're going to try to do one of those shows a week in the future. Right now, maybe one every two weeks is all we're going to be able to pull off. So let's get into today's topic. And again, what we're talking about is putting together a survival fishing kit and then some techniques uh, for uh, actually using the tools that you'll put together and keep in maybe your bug out bag or, you know, hopefully you're taking something that like a bug out bag with you whenever you go back in uh, the woods just to camp and hike or what have you. A lot of guys take their actual bug out bag. A lot of guys have what they call a clone bag. That way there's uh, two of them in two different locations and uh, if they use all the supplies while they're on a camping trip doing a kind of a bug out bag shakedown, uh, when they get home, if something goes wrong that day, they don't have to resupply. Everything is still there. So however you do that, just this is something that really belongs anytime you might be going anywhere, you know, a couple hundred yards or more away from pavement. Uh, you should probably have a fishing kit with you. And the reason is that there's bodies of water just about everywhere. Uh, you can drop me off in the middle of South Arlington, where I live. Uh, this is as uh, metropolitan as a town as you can get without going to, like, a downtown area like Dallas. I mean, it's just, there's concrete and people and cars everywhere. And there's still little natural bodies of water, natural ditches, natural little ponds, uh, a few man-made ponds. But you can drop me off with a kit like I'm about to describe, and within a mile on foot, I could go out and find some fish to eat. Now, I wouldn't want to live on them because some of these ponds, you know, the runoff in the city and all is not maybe the cleanest water. But my point is if you can do that here, odds are you can do that in most places. Now, obviously, if you're in the middle of the desert, a fishing kit may not be directly very useful to you. So desert survival is kind of its own. But if you're anywhere where there's streams, ponds, uh, anything like that, there's probably fish that can be harvested. They may not be the fish that you would, you know, have a fish fry with with 100 people, but they'll put protein in your body uh, when you need it. And, uh, you know, I've found that if you could find, like, a little stream when we used to travel around up north with some brook trout in it, and you can 
catch two or three brook trout. And even if you brought some of your own food, some fresh brook trout is just enjoyable. So it can be anything from the enjoyable experience uh, on a camping trip to an actual you need to feed yourself. And a lot of people that have been uh, lost in the Colorado Rockies, for instance, have survived because they carry a fly rod with them. We're not really going to talk about carrying a fly rod, but I'm just trying to make the point to you that this is actually something that in in a certain circumstance may be what keeps you alive, or at least while you're enduring something, keeps you from being completely and totally miserable, even if your survival doesn't depend on it. Maybe uh, a little bit of your happiness will depend on it. So let's start out with kind of a bare bones fishing kit. I mean, this is is the least amount of stuff you can take with you for ultimate uh, space saving. Probably not going to use it, but just nice to have. You know, what should you take? Well, you can fit all of this stuff in probably a film container if you can even still find one of those. Uh, but all I'm, I'm going to make a suggestion for you, you hooks, uh, lures, weights, anything like that that can rust. Don't use the little snap-together um, tackle box uh, holders. I mean, I use those on my boat for keeping my slabs separate and everything. They're fine like that. But if you're going to carry this stuff in the wilderness, you don't want it to get rusted on you. So get some type of watertight container. But the first level... You could probably fit in a, you know, a, 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 what do you call those things, uh, those mints. I just can't think of them right now. Those really strong mints that come in little tins, a tin like that. Um, geez, I can't believe I can't think of these things, but... Uh Anyway, not to belabor it, a candy tin, a film container, anything like that. I wouldn't really use a candy tin because they're probably not going to be watertight, but if you put the stuff in a little Ziploc baggie or something inside there, it would be. So, obviously, to fish, you need line. So, you'd want some some line, and I'd say even in a minimalist kit, it's not unreasonable to carry 100 feet of line, and that can simply be wrapped around maybe a long piece of plywood with a couple notches cut in the end of it that could double as a float. Now, why 100 feet? Why not 15 feet, 20 feet, like most of the little pre-made kits uh, have? Because, you know, if your survival is going to depend on something, you bring more than you think you'll need. And line has a tendency, uh, no matter how well you keep it, to eventually get kind of tied up and things like that. Along with that, if you can find an old pop bottle or something, you can create what they call a hobo fishing reel. And with 100 feet of line, you can tie the line to the bottle, wrap the line around the bottle, and hand throw the line 100 feet is really not that hard to do with a decent amount of weight. So you can extend your fishing with, as long as you have 100 feet of line, even if you don't have a rod with you, beyond simply tying, you know, 10 feet on the end of a stick and using it that way. There's also some other techniques that I'm going to give you that 100 feet of line would be very advantageous, cutting the multiple pieces. Before I do that, I'm going to have to tell you some of the things that I'm going to talk about doing today may not be legal in your state. In fact, some of them may not be legal, period. Uh, so you have to you know, know your own laws and you have to decide whether you're going to do this or not. Now, obviously, if it's illegal to limbline, but you're stuck somewhere and uh, you need to survive, then limblining, you don't really care that it's illegal. You're trying to feed yourself and make it through. But if, it's, if limblining is one of the techniques I'm going to describe today, if that's illegal in your state or if jug fishing is illegal in your state, you can't go out and practice it, obviously. You need to go to a place where it's legal to practice it. So, again, with that line, 
what it opens are those two techniques in particular. Limb lighting is particularly effective along creeks, especially creeks with deep holes. Most creeks with deep holes in most places in the United States hold catfish. If they don't hold catfish, they hold large suckers and uh, large chubs, maybe large carp, uh, things like that. So you have to know what's in your area when you choose a bait with limb lining. We'll get to bait in a minute. Uh, but you'll bait a hook. You tie your line to a green stem, something that will give fairly easily a good sapling, cut the top off it. And what will happen is when the fish takes that bait and runs with it, it'll, the, as, as, the, uh, as the tension comes up, because it's not a stiff, hard shock, it's that slow absorption, just like a fishing pole, uh, it'll generally do a really good job of setting the hook. And since the line gives uh, quite a bit, fish is not likely to be able to shake the hook or break the line. For this reason, if you're carrying only one type of line, I suggest a heavier line. Minimum 10, more likely 20 pounds. And a lot of the braided stuff like fire wire, spider wire, you can get... Um, really heavy line, like 30-pound line that actually is 6-pound diameter. So you might want to carry that. If you're going to do carry the spider wire or something like that, you probably want to carry a little bit of mono, uh, monofilament line, maybe 6-pound, maybe another uh, 20 feet of that additionally, in a, even in a minimalist kit, just because there's times when fish are kind of spooky, especially some of the little trout and stuff like that, some of these small streams, and they tend to shy away from braided line once in a while, so you can use that to tie a leader. Uh, so you have your line, and you make your own choice on weight, but again, I would go with a heavier weight line, or a heavier test line at least, with the spider wire, so that you have limb lining as an option. Uh, another way to use uh, that type of a setup is through something called jug fishing. Uh, and this is where you just take, you know, you find a soda bottle, a pop bottle, a milk jug, anything like that, and you'd be surprised at how much garbage is out there in the wilderness areas, or maybe you can carry your own water bottles, and uh, once you've drank the water out of them, as long as you have something else to hold water and you can use them, you tie the string to that, you tie a weight, and you tie a hook just a little bit off the bottom, you bait that, put that out, that's a great way to catch catfish. Uh, we actually do that, we make our jugs out of uh, swimming noodles, about uh, one and a half foot long pieces of swimming noodle, taped up with white duct tape, and we use those for jug fishing as recreation in a way to gather a lot of fish, because it's legal here in Texas, but that technique can be adapted uh, to uh, fishing in the wild. So with just your minimalist kit, again, you're looking at hooks, line, few sinkers, and I suggest you carry some snap swivels. In fact, I suggest you carry at least a dozen small snap swivels. They take very little space up, and I suggest if you do your limb lining, that you tie a snap swivel before the hook, maybe with a little bit more line act as a leader so that that snap swivel is not right against the hook um, with your limb lines because catfish will twist when they end up tied up in a trot line or any kind of a line, like a limb line. They'll do a lot of twisting. Having that swivel on there will prevent them from being able to twist the line to a point where it will eventually break because you don't know when you'll be coming back. Obviously, the uh, traditional way to use a kit like this is to find a nice, long, flexible cane pole type of arrangement. It could be any kind of a sapling or tree. If you happen to have bamboo in your area, you're fortunate. Uh, that works perfectly. That's why you see so many cane poles made out of it, uh, but any kind of a good, long, flexible tip, you don't want anything too thin that's going to break underneath uh, the weight of a heavy fish, and you simply tie your line, you tie your weight, you tie your hook uh, on that to give yourself as much reach as you as you want, you can handle. Generally speaking, the best thing to do is if you have a 10-foot pole, tie your line so it's 10 feet long. 
Now, the easy way to do that is hold your pole straight up in the air, and where the line comes back when it's hanging straight down and hits you in the, it hits the bottom of the pole, you cut it off there. And you'll find if you have line that's exactly the same distance as the pole you're using, it's very easy to control and drop in to some nice little pockets and things like that uh, when you're doing your fishing. Here's another tip for your cane pole fishing. When you tie your line on the end of the pole, leave yourself a couple extra feet on the side that actually attaches to the stick. Come about two feet down from the top or the tip of the rod. Tie it there. Run your line up and then retie it at the end. Obviously you want it at the end so you have the maximum reach and you have the flexibility and you have the ability to, to, to control uh, the line better if it's way out on the tip with the line still reaching down to the butt of the, of the pole. However, let's say you get lucky and you hook into a big one. you got a nice big heavy fish that hits that line and the tip of your, your stick is not as strong as you thought it was and it breaks well if you've tied two feet down even though the tip of your stick broke you don't lose the fish you still have uh, the line attached to your pole and it's a it's a it's an older technique uh, if you go out and you, you see like the old timers that fish with cane poles uh, that fish around the little uh, city areas and ditches and stuff like that uh, throughout the south you'll see most of them tie their lines that way because every one of them has at one time hooked into a really big catfish or something like that and had the tip of the uh, rod bro- broke. So your minimalist kit, line, and again, you have to make your own choices on test. I suggest you go heavier if you're only carrying one kind because it's more uh, versatile for you. A set assortment of hooks, a couple split shots and get the reusable split shots, the ones that have what you call ears on them. Maybe a couple egg sinkers for heavier weights. Uh, on your hooks, I suggest you carry more small hooks than large hooks. Small hooks are a lot more versatile in a survival situation. Uh, number t- a handful of number 10 and number 8 and number 6 bait holders is probably a really good idea. Uh, then I also suggest that you might want to go out and get half a dozen of the biggest straight back hooks you can find. Not the kales, the ones that kind of have the wide gap. Now, if you're going to carry more equipment, you probably want some of those kale hooks uh, or your uh, your large circle hooks. Those are be- much better for limb lining uh, than your small hooks because they're designed for that type of application for a simple slow pull instead of a, a sharp hook set. Uh, so you might want to carry some of those. But what I'm talking about are like the very large straight back straight hooked, maybe something in the neighborhood of six aught, if you can find them that large. And the reason you want to carry maybe four to six of these things is, one, you may be in a situation where you get a chance to use them for fishing for larger fish. Uh, so that's that's one use that they have. But the other thing is, if you take three very large fishing hooks, and you get yourself a nice long pole, and then you use some type of uh, cordage to lash them, to the end of the pole so that they're spread out, um, all facing the same direction, but spread out uh, evenly spaced, maybe about uh, three-quarters of an inch between each one, you have a pretty impressive gig. Uh, so if you're in a place where you can actually see fish swimming around, tying three good, strong fishing hooks to the end of a long pole, you can just reach down there and snag fish out with them. You can also use it for gigging frogs uh, or gigging other types of aquatic life. So, you know, it's something really to consider adding even to a minimalist kit.
So let's leave the minimalist kit and let's go up to kind of let's call it a more proper kit with uh, with, with more stuff in it that's going to take up more space, but it's probably worth doing. Uh, one, you probably want to go ahead and carry um, you know one of the small uh, spools that's designed just for refilling a single uh, fishing reel of 120 to 250 yards, something like that. The small spools. Uh, you want to put some tape on the outside of that to keep it from uh, coming undone and making a mess in your kit, and then you'll have some extra tape as well. little thin piece of duct tape cut to go about halfway around the diameter there is a great way to make sure that you always have some tape left over if something happens to it so you can keep that line taped up and neat. The next thing I would say is that you would need to carry some lures, and there's certain uh, times when you may need to use a lure uh, rather than live bait. In most survival situations, if you can find live bait, you're probably better off using Using it, you'll be fishing with stuff that's in the area that the fish are already feeding on. I'll give you some ideas on that in a minute. But with uh, with lures, let's say you're going to stick to a minimalist kit, you're not going to have a proper fishing rod. Um, so then you're going to want to stick to things that are easy to use as, as a hand lure. So some of your various little popping bugs and, and, and things like that are great. Top water popping bugs that are made out of cork or balsa wood. Uh, you probably want to go ahead and carry a couple leadhead jigs and some uh, twisty tail uh, grubs. If you're hand fishing, it's going to be hard to do anything w- with much more than that. Maybe a few different little jigs and things or if you can get into a place where you can do some vertical jigging like in a deep hole. Um, this is exactly why, though, is you start thinking about the, the various excellent fishing lures that are out there. And two that I think you should definitely have are a beetle spin and an inline spinner. And I think you should have several colors and several types of each. And a beetle spinner are the ones that look like a little grub, a little wire, and then they have a little blade. Those things have been proven to catch fish in all types of areas. Uh, it doesn't really matter what species. I've caught everything from, from bass and trout to bullhead catfish, believe it or not, on beetle spins. Uh, so some very small ones and larger ones. When you get into that, now you're going to move up into needing a fishing rod. So how do you make sure you can carry a fishing rod when you're trying to minimize how much you carry in the first place and you're trying to put this into a bug out bag or a wilderness bag or something like that? Well, they're not the greatest fishing rods in the world and they're not something that I'm going to use every day when I'm out with my boat. But the collapsible telescopic fishing rods are the best way to go for this uh, because it's better to have that rod than no rod. Now, what about the ones that break into like seven pieces? I don't like them. I don't like them for backpacking. Backpacking is rugged. It's rough. When you have that telescopic rod and you put it down into its case, you can fabricate something to go over the tip to protect it, maybe even just um, a, a piece of uh, PVC pipe big enough to go over there that you duct tape on the end, and, and that will protect the tip of the rod. And the rest of it's inside the handle where it's protected. When you have these collapsible rods and you're trying to keep them in a tight, small area, it's a hell of a lot more propensity for one piece of them to get broke, and if a piece gets broke, the whole daggone thing is broke, uh, is, is probably the best way to look at it. So get yourself a nice, and they're inexpensive, collapsible rod. Look for kind of a lighter action rod unless you travel in areas with uh, big water and big fish. Get a nice small uh, spinning reel 
that'll match the size of your rod well. I don't really have a recommendation on brand or what have you. I would say that with fishing equipment, even backup wilderness style stuff like this, you're better off buying a good quality product than a cheap product. You don't really have that option with the telescopic rod. None of them are stellar, but they're all decent. Uh, but the reel, you might want to spend upwards 50, 60 bucks on a reel for this. Uh, and you want to get a smaller reel. Again, you want to go toward the size of the rod you bought. If you use smaller equipment, it's going to be better suited for a lot of these little uh, back alley uh, type fishing arrangements. I'm really back alley, but backwoods. You're not going out in the ocean trying to land a marlin, right? You're trying to pull in, you know, some bluegill, brim, perch, uh, bullhead catfish, maybe if you're lucky, channel catfish, anything to keep you alive. So because of that, you got to scale the tackle down to the size of what the prey is. Now, once you have that fishing rod and reel, you want to keep that reel spooled uh, with a good quality uh, fishing line. Again, I like going and getting something like 30-pound spider wire, maybe even heavier, and uh, which is like 6 to 8-pound in actual diameter of standard monofilament, keeping that on your rod to keep a little bit of extra mono uh, in the 6-pound range if you have some fish that are a little bit... Uh, hesitant to take, you can use that to tie a leader. Um, because that's going to give you a lot of strength. And if you have all that extra line, think about how strong 50-pound fishing line is. You can use it for other survival needs if fishing's not on the table. If you have a full spool of it, um, you're going to have plenty of extra to use a little bit for maybe making a tripwire uh, for a, a deadfall trap or something like that. There's a lot of uh, versatility that you get out of fishing line. So you should have it in your pack anyway. Anyway, even if you're out there in the desert, because it can be used for things other than fishing. Once you have a fishing rod and reel, it opens up kind of a whole lot more opportunity for you to be able to harvest fish in the wilderness. So some of the other things that you'll then begin to carry, like I said, a beetle spin and inline spinner. It probably makes sense to carry what are called slabs. Because I watch a guy try to get in a wreck in front of me. Sorry if I'm a little distracted, folks. I got people trying to kill themselves by threading needles and front of me in the traffic. But anyway, uh, you, you want to go ahead and, again, have a, a slab or two. Uh, it's a very versatile tool. You're not going to use these a lot of times in, uh, in like, creeks and streams and small ponds. But if you can find a place with a deep hole, vertical jigging with small slabs is uh, very effective. It looks like a shiner kind of dying. And that usually triggers a strike from uh, a bait fish. And if you ever get out on some open water, they can be used very, very versatilely. Maybe I'll do some uh, videos on how versatile a slab can be. I've kind of picked that up from my buddy Hal Dodd how versatile a slab can be. Another thing, though, I think you should carry is an assortment of flies. And it's probably a good idea to get with a fly fisherman that fishes the area that you are in most and ask him what standard patterns are that they use. And you might be thinking, why am I going to carry flies, specifically lightweight dry flies with a spinning rod since I don't have a fly fishing rod? Well, there are rods that can double as a fly rod, and they are and there are collapsible versions, and you can carry a fly reel. I'm not really recommending that, though. There's something out there called a fly bubble, okay, or a spinning bubble, and what this looks like is a float or a bobber. They're very small, though, and they're not ever like bright orange and yellow or red and white. They're not designed to be seen. They're clear, and instead of having little snappies or some type of a little thing that you can use to easily attach and detach them, they have an eye on both sides of the bubble, 
And what they're designed to do is you tie a, you tie a line to them from one side back to your rod, just like you're tying a hook. And then you tie a leader with a fly off the other side. And then it lets you take a spinning rod and cast for distance and accuracy a very small lightweight fly that you would normally only be able to fish with a fly rod. If you fish with a fly rod at all, you know that what you're actually casting is the line. That's why they use that big, heavy-looking line. And that line has a certain amount of weight to it. What you're actually casting is the line's weight, and then you have a monofilament leader out to your fly. And that's how you use a fly rod. Well, this kind of circumvents that. You use the little spinning ball uh, to carry your fly out, but then you're using monofilament the rest of the way. Is this, for fly fishing, as effective a method as using a good fly rod in the hand of a skilled fly fisherman? No, it's not. But there are times, especially on little wilderness creeks and things like that, where the fish are taking a fly of a certain variety. Uh, there's a hatch on mayflies or, or what have you, or black flies or uh, uh, love bugs or whatever happens to be hatching in great numbers. And at times, the fish get so kind of addicted to that pattern, they don't want to eat anything else. And a lot of these little flies are so small, even if they're everywhere, you can't catch them and put them on a hook. Uh, it's just not practical. So having some dry flies in common patterns for the areas that you travel and a spinning bubble will let you catch those fish in that environment. You'll also find that it's a very effective way to use certain natural baits, which I'll be getting to in uh, just a second. But another item a lot of people like to carry is bobbers, floats, corks, whatever you want to call them. I'm not big on carrying them in a wilderness kit because I am trying to save space. And they are so easy to improvise from something like a stick. And in many instances, I actually would prefer to use a stick improvised as a cork uh, a lot better than one of these big plastic things. One, since it's good, you, can, you can tie them in a way that will allow them to flow straight uh, and not really have a lot of resistance. You can also tie them in a way that as soon as they're touched, they stand up. And uh, that's another thing maybe I'll do a video on is improvised cork floats. Uh, but they're always available, so why take up the space with a float? I do recommend those little uh, fly, uh, those fly bubbles, though, or spinning bubbles, whatever you want to call them. I'll try to find some of those online and put a link to them, because most of us from the south, you don't really see them uh, in our shops because we don't do a lot of fly fishing down here. I know somebody's going to ride in and go, I'm in the Texas Fly Fishermen's Association. We fly, I know, you guys, but it's not widespread like it is in Montana or Wyoming or Pennsylvania or Virginia or West Virginia. That's all I'm saying. So that little product is not generally available. Now, if you if you have all of that, then the next thing is, well, how do I actually use it to catch some fish, to put some meat on the table, so to speak? Well, again, I think the best thing that you can do in these survival situations is look for bait in the area you're in. And generally, you don't have to go much further than finding a few rotted logs to turn over. And uh, some of the better baits that you'll find under those logs include slugs. Um, if you're fortunate enough to find maybe a larger centipede and you want to try to get a hold of him without getting bit, you could use him. I generally don't mess with centipedes. They can give you a pretty painful bite. And uh, even the ones that aren't highly venomous, it's the last thing you need is pain in a survival situation. You'll often find grubs. And uh, I've found that trout in particular aren't very fond of those big old white beetle grubs. Uh, I would have thought they would be, but I've never really done well with them. Cut into small pieces, though, small pan 
panfish like bluegill, pumpkin seeds, and other small uh, fish that we commonly refer to in the South just generically as perch seem to really like them if they're cut into pieces, so they're very useful. What you're really looking for, if you can find it under there, are worms, uh, night crawlers, and use either using large night crawlers uh, for larger fish or cut pieces uh, for smaller fish. And if you can find worms, you can generally use them to catch fish if there's any fish in the area. There's very few fish that won't actually eat a worm. Uh, and again, in a survival situation, you're not so much worried about, you know, can I catch a, uh, you know, a state record uh, rainbow trout. What you're worried about is, can I get myself something to eat? And a worm will usually do that for you. Uh, it'll usually allow you to either catch some uh, some perch or some uh, chub slash suckers. Generally, one of those two species is going to be in just about any body of water with any deep holes, uh, any little pockets and things like that. Worms, of course, will catch anything from trout to catfish, you name it. So that's a really great source of bait. Now, another thing you'll often find under your rotting logs are crickets. Uh, crickets are another great source of bait. You should probably carry with you uh, a little net bag so that you can kind of gather up bait like this. And it might be a good idea if you have the space to carry something like the bags that onions come in, the larger net bags. We'll talk about that in a second. But a little net bag or something to gather your bait, excuse me, your bait with is a good idea. Um, Another great bait that you'll find, you won't find these under your rotted logs, but if you're out in the summertime, if there's any kind of a grassy area around you, you'll probably find grasshoppers. Outstanding bait from everything from panfish to catfish uh, tend to really take grasshoppers. Now, I mentioned that sometimes with your, uh, your spinning fly bubble, there might be a good way to use it with uh, with live bait. Grasshoppers is one of the phenomenal ways. Grasshoppers, if you don't put any weight on your line at all, and you hook them with a small hook, like I say a number 8 or a number 10 bait holder, up through kind of the, the, the stomach and through the back so that the tip just comes out the back, they will float beautifully on water. And that's, if you think about a grasshopper, very seldom will a fish see a grasshopper, you know, at 4 feet deep in the water. A grasshopper usually will accidentally end up in the water and float around, and then one of the trout or something like that, or bass, what have you, will come by and grab him off the surface. But with that little fly bubble, you can now cast that grasshopper and let him float. And because this fly bubble is made, unlike a cork, you know, that's, that's kind of resistant to coming through the water, this fly bubble is made so you can slowly kind of retrieve your line and keep that leader taut so that when the fish takes it, you can set the hook right away because it's designed for a fly which, of course, the fish doesn't grab a, a, a fake fly and hold on to it for a great length of time. You have to set the hook right away. So it's a great way to fish with grasshoppers. If you happen to have mealyworms, I don't think you'll find a lot of mealyworms out in the uh, forest, but mealyworms work great with a fly bubble as well. I've used those with very small, like number 14 hooks, uh, to catch trout when nothing else would work, and that's more of a recreational fishing, but it gives you an idea. A lot of times you might find various types of maggots, though, uh, from various bugs in rotting logs and a rotting leaf litter. Those also work very well with that fly bubble. That fly bubble is so versatile because it will let you fish those dry flies in so many small pieces of live bait that you really don't want to put out there with a weight. Because you don't want them sinking fast. You want them either sinking slow on a long leader using your fly bubble like a more traditional float, or you want them floating on the surface because that's what they do. One of the most versatile little pieces of equipment you can carry. Uh, 
Other than that, though, I really recommend you try to look for a way to get a fishing pole, an actual rod, into your survival bag, your survival kit. It's just so much versatile to have a decent rod and reel with you. Uh, if you do that, all of these things open themselves up and become uh, potential for you to actually be able to implement this. If you think about a lot of the things that I'm talking about now, if you're just sitting there with a, with a handful of line and hooks and weights, like they come in those little survival kits or survival knives or what have you, uh, you're not going to be able to uh, cast a fly bubble very far and very effectively. Now, again, you can rely on your hobo reel, but that's dependent on you either having a bottle or somebody having left one behind the way they shouldn't have in the first place. Uh, you're you're going to be much better off with that rod. You're going to be much better able to play uh, fish and bring them in and actually land them as well. Now, the other place to look for bait, and of course, food is right in the water that you're fishing. If you're in clear water where you can see the bottom, uh, turning rocks over will often find you crayfish or various nymphs, uh, sometimes freshwater snails, freshwater mussels. It, I'm not going to tell you whether you can eat snails or mussels out of the water that you're looking at because I don't know where you're looking. If the water is clean and unpolluted, uh, you can usually eat mussels and snails without much trouble. Uh, I would prefer to cook them uh, just as a safeguard. Uh, I'm not opposed to eating uh, raw oysters or raw clams from a known source where they're safe, uh, but in a wilderness situation, I would want to cook them. You can boil them in a tin, you can put them on a uh, fire, but you can also just take a decent knife and shuck them and get, you know, one little mussel cut into three pieces might bring three fish. Uh, those are generally excellent bait. The same with crayfish, uh, crawfish, uh, crawdaddies, uh, freshwater lobsters. You call them whatever you want to uh, based on where you're at. But if you find small ones, they generally make good bait. But larger ones, I'd be more apt to uh, look at the bird in the hand versus two in the bush and go ahead and cook them up. Uh, boiled crawfish are pretty good. Again, you can throw them straight on the coals of your fire, or you can boil them in a little tin either way. But check around in the water and see what's there. If there's minnows in uh, in the, the stream. Uh, that little onion bag can be fabricated with a, a wood frame and a handle really quickly to make a net. And maybe you want to carry a smaller net. Sometimes minnows are better caught with a small net. But you can net them. You can maybe also just net fish that are edible. Now, let's say you find a little piece of water. And you really got it. You just have to eat. Uh, if you don't eat, you're, you're, you know, you're in a bad way. Uh, there's no big fish in it, but there's a pile of minnows that can be easily netted out. Well, what can you do? Well, you can make yourself fish soup. Now, I know this isn't, like, really appetizing or anything, but to me it's more appetizing than eating, you know, a worm from underneath a, a log. You would just net as many of the little guys as you wanted to eat. Get yourself a uh, some method of boiling water. Hopefully you're carrying a tin or a canteen cup or something that water can be burnt, uh, boiled in. Put your minnows in there and boil them up, and you might use some uh, some herbs that are available. One of the things that kind of makes this taste a little better is a few pine needles. And uh, you can just basically boil those things until there's not, you know, they're pretty much pulverized. And uh, just drink them right down. And protein's protein, folks, wherever you get it from. And uh, minnows can be had that way. Uh, tadpoles 
rolls you can eat that way. And, of course, you can also use them for bait. So yet another reason to carry something that can be easily uh, converted into a net. Now, I've taught, I've seen people try to net larger fish. Generally, it's not the most uh, effective method to catch fish, uh, but there's, uh, there's, there's ways it can be done. But your net is going to be much better for gathering small creatures, especially if you end up in a place where there's a lot of crayfish. Again, crayfish, crawfish, whatever you want to call them. A net is a hugely effective tool for gathering them. And the best way I know to do this is you slowly you know, lift rocks, because that's where these guys like to hide under these rocks. And when you find one, don't try to dip him with the net. Put the net behind him and slowly bring your hand toward his front side, and he'll back away, and he'll usually try to shoot away quickly. He'll go right into the net. And, uh, you know, I've had nets full of them, because once they're kind of in the bottom, they have a real hard time getting out. So you bring the net up, let them go down to the bottom, and you can just keep catching them. And uh, if you get in a place with high population, you can gather three or four dozen crawfish that way very quickly, set aside most of them for eating, and maybe take a piece of tail meat out of one or two of them and use them for fish bait and see if you can get something larger. So there's a lot of versatility that you have, as long as you have reasonable fishing equipment. Now, I... I didn't get real specific into what lures, what patterns, what type of things to carry. Uh, there's kind of general purpose stuff that's out there that maybe you should make part of any kit. But you probably don't travel in Pennsylvania one week, Florida the next, and Texas the third. Uh, if you do, you're probably well equipped and you know what to do if you have that kind of a lifestyle. Most people spend most of their outdoor time, or if they were forced into an outdoor environment for some reason, it would be wherever they spend most of their time. So you really need to tailor your tackle, your patterns, your lures, your colors around what works best for your area. And that's really uh, in particular important when it comes to flies. Again, asking fly fishermen around you, especially what types of patterns of dry flies work well in this area, will give you a, a good head starting to putting that together. But if you put this type of a kit together, make it part of your bug out bag, make it part out of your, part of your wilderness pack. If the two are one in the same fly, making as part of that. Uh, good collapsible rod, a decent fishing reel, supply of line, fish hooks, and weights. Uh, you're going to go a long way toward you know, making sure that you have one more method of staying alive when time uh, really counts. Again, I'm, I'm going to kind of close up now, and I, I want to point out, this is kind of our first uh, delving into wilderness survival. When I've had a few requests to do it, I thought this was an easy topic, and uh, I think if you, uh, you take the approach here, and put together a little kit like this. And maybe once in a while when you're out somewhere, just try it out. Just use it. When you're somewhere and you find a little stream, even if you're not in the wilderness, say you find, you know, you're walking through one of your little local parks and you notice that there's a little stream or a ditch or something like that in your park. Just throw some stuff together and see what you can come up with. If you carry a little day pack when you go on hikes like that, bring your rod and your little kit along with you and see what you can do. Maybe I'll do a video. There's a little creek that runs through a park in uh, in Arlington. And uh, it looks like a, a hellhole. I really wouldn't want to eat anything out of it. But it'll just give you an idea. Uh, I could probably pull two or three species of fish out of there in one 10-minute video using some improvised stuff. What can be done? So maybe I'll put that together for the member support brigade area. Uh, on that note, I'd like to remind everybody that if you want to support
support the show, you can do that by joining our member support brigade, which is $5 a month or $50 a year. Take your pick. Uh, you can sign up on our website. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com. Look for join the member support brigade. You'll see it in red on the right-hand margin of the site, and I'll put a link in today's show notes. And uh, the way we came with the pricing on that is I do about uh, 25 uh, episodes a uh, a month, so it comes or 20 episodes a month, so it comes out to about 25 cents a show. And uh, when you join the member support brigade, not only will you support our show and our work here, uh, but you'll get access to exclusive members-only content and the archives of every episode of the Survival Podcast ever recorded, uh, which will continue to grow and be available in zip files. On that note, I would like to sign off today. I'd like to encourage you uh, to put together a little fishing kit. And uh, even if you're not a big-time angler, big-time fisherman, if you uh, you spend any time at all in the wilderness, you know that you could uh, end up spending even just one night uh, where you'd prefer not to and having the ability to put a little bit of meat on the table and then understanding the diversity of things like how you can use fish hooks to make a gig uh, for gigging frogs or other animals is also uh, quite useful. Uh, so uh, on that note, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent